our week nine review as the NFL now reached officially its halfway stage. I am, as ever, your host, Andy Davis, and I'm this week joined by a returning guest. You'd have seen him on our Cleveland Browns season preview, part of Dynasty Nerds, Browns fan, Dan Toomey. Dan, first of all, how are things? How are you? Great, Andy. We're uh, we're a little bit past the halfway point of the season, and uh, you know I feel like it's flying along. We're going to be uh, at the NFL draft in Detroit before we know it, but there's still a lot of things to talk about until we get there. Yeah, I don't know whether it's because I'm getting older, but it just seems like this season has flown by. I've never seen a season fly by as quick as this in my life. It's been just a crazy just how it, it feels like yesterday. Even I was talking to you during the Brown season preview, and now it's like, oh, we're actually like, we're actually now in November. I'm seeing Christmas lights, which is for me way too early. I'm seeing Christmas lights in my town. I'm seeing Christmas adverts now, Christmas songs. It's it's just me. It's going far, going by for a season that is compared to other sports so short, far too quickly for my liking. But either way, I think it's been a good season so far. Um, I think there's not point, but not been as maybe as many crazy games as last year, year before that. But I think overall, it's been um yeah, it's been it's been good, enjoyable as ever. Yeah, and this week was probably one of the most interesting weeks. We had a number of backup quarterbacks. We had a running back kick a field goal. Like, things are all over the place in the NFL in Week 9. Absolutely, and it started off on Thursday night as Tennessee went down in Pittsburgh to the Steelers by 20 points, 16. And then heading on to Sunday in the early game, which is our first talking point, is in Germany, a game that I sadly couldn't be involved in, but either way, I wasn't well, so um, I wouldn't be able to go anyway. But it was in Germany as the Chiefs hosted the Dolphins in Frankfurt as the Chiefs beat the Dolphins 21-14. to The Chiefs did lead 21-0 at half-time before touchdowns from Cedric Wilson and Raheem Mostyn got the Dolphins back into the game uh, before ultimately a botched snap from centre Connor Williams caused two to find the ball on fourth down and sealed the game for the Chiefs. But the one thing I want to talk about mainly was about the what ends up being the game-winning play End of the second second quarter, Tyree Kill fumbled the ball, and then the Chiefs go in via lateral play for a defensive touchdown. Now, for you, Dan, this has been what, 9 a.m., 10 a.m. for you, uh, back over in New York, your end. Um, yeah, not, 9 a.m. start for us. My uh, wife and I were actually at the diner having breakfast watching the game. It was wonderful. <laughs> nice. I mean, what obviously, we have, um, I'll get onto the play in a second, but we have, you know, we. Love having these games on early our time, but obviously we're not experiencing what it's like for you guys. Um, and I'll I'll be getting that next week when I'm in when I'm in Vegas. Uh, but for you, it's like, what's it like having these games on so early in the morning? Um, it's it's it it's great, but it's also a double edged sword because you know you got the wife and she wants to run errands in the morning, and you're like, hold up, there's actually a football game. She's like, why is there a football game so early? Um, and the other thing you got to think about is people living in Kansas City. For them, it was, I believe, a 8 a.m., maybe at a 7 a.m. start. So it, when you get those West Coast or Midwest teams playing over there, it's it's tough on the fan base. But, you know, I I never mind having football from sun up to sundown on a Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I was sitting with complaining. Um, I mean, you know, keeping like Hawaii, for example, Right now, it's currently, um, I think, they're 10 hours behind us um, in the UK. So that'll be, what, five hours behind you. So that'll be, for them, around, I think, 3 2 a- in the morning. Yeah, 3 a.m. 3 a.m. So that's, that's tough for them if you're living in Hawaii and even West Coast. I mean, it's um, it's tough. But at the end of the day, we have to go through watching games till 4 in the morning. So um, Yeah, you you, got, you guys do it every week. We could, we could do it once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but, yeah, your thoughts on the play, because that was one of the 
praise the defensive players I've seen in the last few years. I thought it was really, really good um, improvisation from the Chiefs to do that. And I think that ultimately, even though it came across my own team, I can't deny just how good of a play that was from the Chiefs. Yeah, um, uh, Patrick said this during his post-game presser, but obviously uh, I think we all agree with this point. This is the best Chiefs defense that has played with Patrick during his career, which comes at a perfect time because the offense is definitely on the downside of things. Now, that being said, it's a Pat- Patrick Mahomes-led offense, so I'm never going to write them off because he can make you know magic out of mud. Um, but this is definitely the best defense that he's had. And it's interesting to see this Kansas City team win in a much different way than they have in the past. Um, that being said, uh, Miami was right in it. You know, I know you're a Dolphins fan. It's a heartbreaker to hear that. But obviously, the one fumble return touchdown was the big difference. But if you dive deeper into the stat lines, Miami was able to contain Travis Kelsey, which not a lot of teams have been able to do um, this year or even in years past. So I am very much looking forward to a potential playoff rematch between these two teams. Um, and I think, you know, if, if the coin just flipped the other way or the wind blew the other way or just like luck landed in a different direction, we, we might be sitting here talking about the Miami Dolphins as, you know, a potential number one seed in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, I do sadly think we may find it hard now to get number two because not only did Chiefs have one win on us, but he also have a tiebreaker if, if it came to that point. Um, and I I still, you know, we haven't been a winning team since week three last year. So that's me and now that we aren't going to really be able to um, fix until we start beating teams like that. So, but at the same time, we do, I've just talked about it in, a, in another podcast, we, you don't win or lose Super Bowls in November. So for me, it's a good learning curve. Um, going forward and you know the Chiefs we gave him a good game I remember we even gave him a good game in tw- in the 2020 season uh, I think it was we gave Mahomes one of his toughest games and again we gave him a tough game this time around but like you know like any good team they'll, they'll punch you when they need to and as you say it's the best defense I've ever seen the Chiefs have and I think that's going to really help Mahomes kind of playoffs because it's going to be a time where I think it's coming to, I think it's coming in the next year or two even this season you could argue Kelsey's going to drop down and eventually he's what he's 35 right now. He's going to get, you know, and I would certainly, if I, I know you like your fancy, I would certainly not pick him up in the dynasty league anytime soon. I think that the decline is coming. I think he is definitely showing some signs of decline. I don't think he's quite been the same as he has in years gone by, although he's still got you know, 538 yards this season. So at some point he's got to rely on that defense to winning games. I think it's a perfect time. He's got a lot of young, good young de- defensive players on that team. So, for me, it's um, you know, it's it's a good time for the Chiefs. And I still think until they're beaten, I think they're the team to beat in the AFC. Um, really good performance. And I think, you know, we've seen it with the London games, Bills especially. These teams are coming late, trying to avoid jet lag. They often struggle. When the Bills struggled, the the the, the Titans struggled with it. Um, the the Falcons did struggle as well. I don't think they came as early, but they still struggled. But the Chiefs just looked straight away on it. They looked they didn't look tired at all. And I think obviously second half they showed it a little bit. Obviously they were shut out in the second half. But I think that was only because they were so far ahead and they sort of took their foot off the gas. I think if they gone to that half, you know, twenty one to fourteen up, or they gone to that half fourteen seven or fourteen to ten up, I think we've seen a different Chiefs second half. I think because they they felt they could afford to to sort of, you know, to do that and and be more cautious and take their foot off the gas. I think that ultimately helped us, but it was good for me to see our defence play well because really it hasn't played well all year. 
But it was our first game where we had Howard and Ramsey playing on the, on the same team. So that was good to see. Um, so it gives me confidence. I just wish one game, both sides of the ball turn up. It seems to be one or the other at the moment. But, you know, I think for me, I've never seen us go six and three, never seen us go five and one. So for me, it's best start I've ever seen us have. And I think it's just good to be involved in these kind of conversations and these sort of games where you are fighting for a number one seed. And I think that I believe a fourth now because of the Ravens result uh, and the Jags having less losses. So for me, uh, to be, to be, uh, if you told me to start the year, come week 10, you'd be six and three on a bye week, top of the AFC East by a game, and you'd be the fourth seed. I'd take that in a heartbeat. So can't complain too much. And I think that, you know, hopefully we can learn this. I think we'll have to play either Chiefs or the Bills, who we've lost to already in the playoffs. I think it'll come down to that, or maybe the Bengals. And I think ultimately we'll learn from these games and hopefully be able to perform well because we know that on our day, this team could be anyone. I mean, to put 70 points up against any team is pretty good. So for me, yeah, definitely positive signs, but definitely definitely room, room for improvement. Um, now, other results came on the weekend. So, 6 p.m. slate in the UK, that would be 1 p.m. Eastern. One, yeah. Um, yeah. That will be other games involving the Cleveland Browns thrashing the Cardinals by 27 points to zero. The Packers beating the Rams 20 points to three. The Commanders beating the, the Patriots 20 points to 17. Uh, and the Saints beating the Bears 24 points to 17. And the Ravens beating the Seahawks 27 points to three. Uh, but two games that happened at 6pm that I want to talk about. Uh, first up was the game that friend of the show Rob Monk went to. His first ever Falcons game in Atlanta to see his team play at home. Uh, they lost in a thriller to the Vikings, 31-28. to Of course, the game dominated by Josh Dobbs, who only joined the team midweek after the Kirk Cousins injury. He joined on the trade deadline, had a handful of days to learn, had three fumbles, but ultimately came away with the win and had a rushing touchdown as well. A couple of touchdowns. Don't think he threw for a pick. He made and I made. He made that. I don't know, but either way, it was a positive for them. It was a great performance for Josh Jobs and a real good moment for him because he is a guy that you know was playing on a really bad team and it was his fifth team since week fourteen last year. Had a lot of teams and he's been in and out of teams throughout his whole career. This felt like his chance to show that he can play on a good team and you know a t- they've won what four games in a row, all of them without Justin Jefferson. Um, Got to give Vikings a huge amount of credit in what was a you know excellent win, an excellent game. Yeah, um, Josh Dobbs, he is a AFC North staple. You know, spending so many years in the Steelers and then on and off the Browns roster two times. Uh, this this game was insane just because when you you step back from the big picture and you look at the smaller picture of a football game, you know this guy is coming in you know off the street. Uh, Kevin O'Connell didn't have him take any practice reps with the offense uh, during the week last week. And then you lose Jared Hall very quickly into the, the series. And they even had um, Cam Akers was their emergency quarterback. And he left the game. We, unfortunately, he tore another Achilles in an opposite knee. But like just so many little things that Josh Jobs and Kevin O'Connell had to get right throughout the course of the game. If you're not even looking at performance or or the win or anything, just like, you know, cadences, snap counts, options, how to get calls in, uh, you know, before the 15 second cutoff is it's just like it was a amazing display of just going back to the basics with football and just getting the little things right. And, you know, if you put enough little things together that are right, you get something like this where it's it's a great, you know, a great big thing. You know, we joke 
you know, Josh Dobbs, he went to Tennessee and, you know, he studied aerospace engineering and he's, you know, the rocket scientist guy, but he is a very bright, intelligent person, as you can see, able to pick up, you know, the playbook and everything basically on the fly on Sunday. So this is definitely a game I have scheduled to go back and watch again, because just there's so much things that we can learn from, you know, analysts who are outside of the league. Uh, just by watching the way all these players interacted on Sunday, picking up on how things really do work on the, you know, inner workings of this offense. Yeah. And you have to give Josh Jobs huge credit because you know, we always hear about it. Every game he plays, we always, always seem to hear about his aeronautical engineering stuff. But clearly, if you're doing that, you've got to be a clever guy. And he's obviously the reason why you know, he has been on five teams in, in, in a year. But at the same time, it's the reason why his team's picking him up because. I imagine this is a league where it's a word of mouth league where they probably got loads of recommendations. A bit like, you know, you get like uh, references and jobs. It's probably got a lot of head coaches that could probably vouch for Josh Jobs and just how quick he can probably learn the playbook. So, and I think it proved that. I think he had a really tough start. I think he had a few fumbles and a few problems, but he just seemed to flick a switch like that and it just seemed to completely change the game. And ultimately, you know, Obviously, he was rushing, rushing leader as well with sixty-six yards. So, yeah, he did it on both ends of the, and both sides of the ball in terms of both running it and throwing it. And ultimately, I think that's a really good win for him. And I think that the Vikings are rolling and they're currently in the playoffs as it stands. And I think I've not looked at their schedule, but you know, I can see him getting a. I don't think they'll catch up with the Lions, but I think they'll certainly be a team that will be fighting for one of the wildcard spots and probably will on current form. Probably do it because they. They now get Jefferson back when he's back from help, back from injury, you know, and uh, Madison. I, th- I like seeing him sort of lining up in that sort of receiver position and getting a touchdown that way, and obviously doing a lot in the run in the run game as well. So for me, the Vikings are, are secretly going about things the right way, and I think they could be a team that after what a one and four start and you lose Justin Jefferson to go on this kind of run, you've got to commend them. Um, but on the flip side, uh, the Falcons. Uh, I mean, the main takeaway from this was, I mean, first of all. Um, Johnny Smith tight end had the most receiving yards in the entire game with 100 exactly 100 but you trade up for a um, receiver running back who's got as much hype as Bujan Robinson and I like Tyler Algier but Dan why is Tyler Algier getting more more reps and more more snaps than Bijan Robinson the guy you picked in what top 10 pick and for a position that's been so devalued it's a risk taking the running back that high so to not even play him as much as you other guys it just seems crazy to me yeah uh i don't know what arthur smith is doing over there in atlanta um it's it's just uh it's very weird it's like almost like there's a big disconnect between the front office and general manager and the coaching staff almost like uh like a rivalry like hatred type thing like oh you're gonna take these players so high well guess what i'm not gonna use them um so it'll be interesting to see when one half of that equation gets fired what the other half has to say about them on there. I don't imagine the exit interview is going to go very uh, swimmingly because, you know, you got Kyle Pitts had five targets on Sunday. Uh, guess what? Jono Smith and Kadero Hodge had more targets than Kyle Pitts, who also is another top 10 pick on this offense. Uh, Drake London was out for this game, but I have to imagine that he wouldn't have had as many targets as freaking Jono Smith did. So it's it's just... It's a big misuse of talent in Atlanta. And then, you you know, you bench Desmond Ritter, you bring in Taylor Heineke, who, guess what? He kind of just looked like Desmond Ritter all over again. You know, it's like you have a clone of the same person going back and forth between the two. 
So, I mean, it's a shame because there's a lot of talented pieces on this Atlanta team. I know in preseason, I, I picked them as my dark horse to win the NFC South. And, you know, Arthur Smith is just made, making me uh, eat my sock at this point with this with this record. <laughs> yeah, I agree, because I think you look at the fact that, yeah, the core was, the back situation isn't pretty there. And But I think with Robert Saleh, he's got the same problem. But I think because he's actually coaching well, he will have that get out of jail fee card on his third season and Smith for me I think did a great job especially last year I think he did a great job in his first two years but this year you can blame callbacks all he wants but as you said there's been a lot of coaching decisions he's made that hasn't been quite right and have been a bit questionable with I think the Reginald Robertson thing even Drake London week one didn't get I think a single target in this game in that, in that first week so been a lot of weird decisions and I think that the third year is often for a coach you know that time when they do suffer the fate on Black Monday. And whilst, you know, he had got the excuse of having bad callbacks, he's still making the decisions that he's making and not giving certain players enough targets. And Carl Pitts, you know, hasn't really done it the first three years. And that probably is down to Arthur Smith, if I'm honest. So, yeah, a lot of questions there. And I, I'm intrigued to see what will happen. And Rob, if you are listening to this podcast, I will best you later on today. But hope you had a good time in Atlanta. and hope you enjoyed your first game at the stadium. Uh, which, you know, hopefully is a better atmosphere than I had when I went there. Um, other game of 6pm I want to discuss was, I think, by far, no, probably definitely the game of the week. Texans-Buccaneers as the Texans won 39-37 to in a great duel between Baker Mayfield and C.J. Stroud. You know, a first overall pick and second overall pick in, you know, obviously six years apart. But for me, I really want to talk about one thing only, and that's C.J. Stroud. I mean... Five touchdowns, zero picks, only one interception the whole year. Four hundred and seventy-five yards, I think it was as well. I mean, for you, Dan, is he the most exciting quarterback in their rookie year or first year starting? I should say since Mahomes, because for me, you know, a lot of quarterbacks struggle in their first year starting. Even Joe Burrow, he had signs, but he got injured early on, and you know, a lot of quarterbacks too have struggled. Josh Allen struggled, Jalen Hurts struggled, but I've never seen literally since Mahomes first started for the Chiefs anything like this and he, every game he's thrown touchdowns he's not as if he's you know he's going games he's got like 150 yards what touchdown zero picks he's putting up touchdown after touchdown and this game especially where I think was for me the game where I think the whole league is on notice now that CJ Stroud he is that guy yeah um so working in the industry for a couple of years you know I have hands in many different areas but I have to say my favorite area is the NFL draft scouting and player analysis and the one big question going to the draft last year was what to do with CJ Stroud. Um, you know, he, he comes from Ohio state, a prestigious program. And then everyone's like, Oh, you know, look at his receiver core throughout the year. Marvin Harrison, Jr. Mecca Buka, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, like all, you know, first round players. And then you look at his final season at Ohio state, not the best. And then there was that Georgia game where he went off in the college football playoffs. That was the last time we saw him on the field and left just saying, what version of CJ Stroud are we going to get at the next level? And as you saw in the draft, you know, Bryce Young was a consensus number and overall pick. CJ Stroud went right behind him. And then, you know, we entered the season. Now we're sitting here, you know, what, uh, eight months later. And now we have to reassess our priors. We have to say, what did we get wrong? And why didn't we put faith in that Georgia game being the CJ Stroud that we're going to get in the NFL? Because, on the flip side, I'm not saying Bryce Young has been like a disaster or terrible or anything, but I guarantee you something, if the Panthers could go back and do the number one overall pick again, we would see C.J. Stroud 
in Carolina blue and not Bryce Young. So it's 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 wonderful because with with you know draft analysis you can always go back in different sects of time say oh I was right oh I was wrong this and that um, but it's the trends that you want to look into for your overall player analysis and the trend right now is that CJ Stroud should have been the number one overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft and not Bryce Young and you know it's it, it was an amazing performance by him I'm very happy uh, for him because I know. He's caught a lot of criticism, especially last year in college football. And now, you know, he seems to be putting in the hard work and reaping the rewards and kind of like everything that was a knock on him, whether it was like, you know, speed going through his progressions, whether it was ability to read the defense, like these are all things that he has obviously worked on and has improved upon, which is, which is just wonderful to see. Yeah. I mean, I, we did a mock draft. I did say I preferred him to, uh, Bryce Young, but I did say I didn't like any of the quarterbacks coming out of the draft that year. Um, and what he's done so far is just prove everyone wrong. And we look at even further than just this year, I think you look at the Panthers and think, if they waited just one more year, they could have got Caleb Williams. Because right now, obviously last year, they got the first pick through the Bears. And now because of that trade, the Bears are to get the first pick because of their record. So you think as well, they might look further. Not only did they pass on Stroud to get Young, they may also go in a few years they waited a year too. They did it a year too early, and they could have waited the year and got Caleb Williams next year. Because I guarantee, if they had like a Kyle Allen like they had before, or if they had Andy Dalton, they probably would be. I can maybe not Dalton. He gets you probably four or five wins. But if they'd had another year of being bad, they could have gone out and got Caleb Williams. But now they're just stuck because they haven't got the pit because of the Bears trade. They're going to be stuck with this sort of team, and I do fear for Frank Reich um, because he's going to be probably a victim list because he's already good experienced head coach, he might be one of them um, because he hasn't got that excuse of being a first-time head coach. So, yeah, worrying times there. But for the Texans, what I loved as well in this game is that you had three players with over 100 yards in this game. Noah Brown, 153 yards, one touchdown. Dalton Schultz, Dalton Schultz, 130 yards, one touchdown. Tank Dell, 114 yards, two touchdowns. And then Nico Collins got a touchdown as well with 54 yards. So everyone's sort of getting involved. It's a bit like, you know, the Jag you're seeing, ETN, you know, Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, um, Evan Engram, all getting involved. I think we've seen the same thing here with Texans, seeing different guys each week coming up and doing these things. I think it's a really exciting team because this team, I think some thought they might be a bit of a dark horse wildcard team, but not no one thought they'd be even competing for a playoff spot. And I think they, they could do it. And only, what, one win behind the Bengals, who are the seventh seed at the moment? They could do it. And I think they got the team for it. And I think D'Amico Ryans has been, I think, for me, Stroud is a is a to me the favorite right now for rookie of the year. I think if you look at rookie coaches of the year, I think Demico Ryan's has that has that locked in right now. I can't see anyone else doing a better job than him right now. So Texans, I think, are a really good place. I think the whole Watson thing really screwed him screwed him over because he was their franchise pullback. He was brilliant, got the you know, most yards in the league with a four win record. Or that that thing happened to your guys' benefit. Well. Maybe not. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but um, but yeah, no, no comment right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for a year or two, it, it was pretty much like awful to watch. But now they're a team you actually like Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons go on red zone. Actually, you want to watch them play and you want to watch CJ Stroud play. And I think, yeah, really, really exciting team. But that Buccaneers, I don't think could be too disheartened. I mean, they've had back to back weeks now where they've gone toe to toe with with good quarterbacks in Josh Allen and CJ Stroud. And, once again, they come up short, and I think that whilst they lost, I mean, Baker Mayfield had you know, 
two touchdowns, no picks, 265 yards. The run game wasn't great, but Mike Evans and Kate Otten were the lead receivers. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So, yeah, I think they had, they've had some tough losses, but have played really well. So, I think Baker has certainly silenced a lot of his haters this season with how he's played. Yeah, I mean, obviously, being a Cleveland Browns fan, I'm very invested into the Baker Mayfield experience. And, you know, I, I loved Baker and I, you know, I didn't want to see the Browns get rid of him. Um, so I do root for him on Sundays. You know, I love seeing Baker and the Buccaneers do well right now. Thankfully, he's in the other conference, a different division. So, you know, it's not really affecting my season too much. So I can happily root for Baker on on Sundays because, you know, say what you think about him. At the end of the day, the guy's fun to watch. You know, he's going to go out there. He's going to force the throws kind of like, you know, Brett Favre. Some of these throws are going to look great and some of these throws are going to look, you know, completely boneheaded, but you know, he'll have a soundbite or two after the game. He's just, it's, it's fun football when, when Baker Mayfield involved and uh, you know, this, this Tampa Bay team, I don't, I don't really know what to, what to think about it. You know, they're, they're in there. Most of the games, you know, they're fighting They're They haven't really got blown out too much this season, but what you said earlier um, in this segment, you're like, Oh, game of the week, Buccaneers and Texans. Think about, go back two months ago. <laughs> Would we be sitting here saying game of the week, Buccaneers, Texans? No, we'd probably be saying like, okay, this is the battle for the number one overall pick. So it's it's so nice to see these two teams just, you know, prove us wrong and, and go above and beyond with their expectations for this year. Yeah, and I think this, I said it before, this is why we love the sport, because you can never tell even before a game or before a season starts at all what's going to happen. I mean, you look at the season, I, mean, I had Panthers winning the division. Look how that's turned out. And people thought the Bears were a dark horse. I think everyone knew the, the Cardinals would be bad. But um, on the flip side, you look at the Buccaneers and the Texans, uh, particularly the Buccaneers. Um, no one thought they'd be where they are now, playing where they are. I know the record doesn't suggest it, but you know, they, they've been they've been good despite the losses. So for me, it's it's, it's why we love the sport. I mean, it's just every week, it's unpredictable. Every season, changed all the time. It's a brilliant sport, and this is why we love it, because there's no other sport like it where it can change that quickly. Um, moving on to the later slates uh, in the NFL. Uh, so the first one was, talking to the Panthers, they, despite winning last week, they got back to losing ways where they lost to the Indianapolis Colts with the player of the game being Kenny Moore, two pick sixes in the same game for a total of 115 yards as they ended up winning by 27 points to 13 uh, Raiders-Giants was a 30-6 win for the Raiders in one of the least exciting games of the week. And then on Monday Night Football, um, sorry, Sunday Night Football, the Bengals beat the, Buff the Buffalo Bills by 24 points to 18. And last night, or this morning for us UK fans, the Chargers beat the Giants, so beat the Jets 27-6. But our final game is, I think, it rivals Texans-Bucks game of the week. It's an NFC East game between the Eagles and the Cowboys as the Eagles came away winners 28-23 to go 8-1, the best record in the NFL at the moment. The only team was with one loss. What a game this was, Dan. Yeah, yeah, this game was was really fun to watch. Um, I mean, NFC East games, they are always very exciting, kind of no matter how good or bad the teams are, they sort of play up or down to each other. It's just with the way that division works. Um, Eagles continue to roll, and the, the Cowboys, they have some real questions. I mean, I think the big takeaway for me with this Cowboys offense is the lack of a running game. You know, uh, uh, Zeke Elliott, he left. Tony Pollard is the guy, and just we've had almost no production from Tony Pollard all year. 
Uh, Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, departed for uh, the Chargers. I mean, that's a whole other thing we could spend a half hour talking about is the Kellen Moore offense with the Chargers. But, you know, Mike McCarthy, when Kellen Moore was leaving, was like, oh, you know, we need to we need to get back to the basics. We need to run the ball more and yada, yada, yada. But like there's just no efficiency in the running game. I mean, yesterday, Tony Pollard had 12 carries for only 51 yards. That's, you know, terrible. And that just leads to the defense is not going to respect your run. They're going to drop more defensive backs into coverage. And now, you know, Dak is, you know, three-step drop and he's looking and just nobody's open. So the the Cowboys offense, I feel like just has to get back to basics. And, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, a hard, hard-nosed old school football guy. You know, we got to run the ball to, to set up the pass type of thing. But you have to have some sort of running attack to, you know, at least keep the defense honest. So... Dallas is going to be in for a long season unless they can figure out that run game, I think. Yeah, I think that's a big thing I want to talk about because um, Tony Pollard obviously was someone that everyone sort of thought of as he's the number one guy. He's better than Zeke Elliott, which I think he still is, but you know, you still seen that guy. I mean, he was uh, looking at the, the stats. He was um, 16th in the league when it comes to rushing yards last season, 2022, with 1,007. Um, and then to the touchdowns, he was 10th in the league with uh, nine touchdowns. But looking at his rankings um, for this season, it's a lot worse. So at the moment, looking at his rushing yards, let me get once the page size to load, it will tell me. Um, sorry, mate, it's frozen my screen. Um, it's okay. He, has, he only has 474 rushing yards in the season. See right now. So that's on 120 attempts so he's averaging about four yards per carry which 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 is decent but doesn't doesn't tell the whole story yeah i mean you know mentioned they are 16th in the league when it comes to rushing yards um and he's only had two touchdowns on the ground this year which has him at the moment looking at his standing fifth joint 30th when it comes to uh touchdowns so i think that's down to off what we see we saw his juju a few years ago where Players are the number two or number three in their position. They excel because they're not the number one guy. They're not targeted by by defenses. They're not du- they're not double covered. When you see a move from two to one, most times nine times out of ten, you'll see these players. They'll struggle ultimately. We saw it with Juju. We're seeing it right now with with Tony Pollard, and even further away from just Pollard, I think the offense in general having that two two running back threat of Zeke Elliott and Potter was one of their biggest strengths last year on offense. Probably their biggest strength on offense last year was being able to change between Zeke Elliott and Pollard. Use Pollard further down, further up in the field. And then when you get down to the red zone, use Zeke Elliott, uh, pound the ground, get that touchdown. But now it's just him. And I think we're seeing ultimately these struggles. And I think Kellen Moore being away affects that as well. But I've got to say as well, Dak Prescott had maybe his best game in, in years. I, I think he was really, really good. I mean, he's been a, a victim, sorry, a, a victim of a lot of media criticism, fans criticism. He's not been himself uh, pretty much since he came back from that injury. But I thought this game, he was brilliant. He was finding different guys like Jake Ferguson, C.D. Lamb, uh, Times, Brandon Cook, Michael Gallup. I thought he was finding different guys. And I thought he was really, really impressive in this game. And I think that he was really unlucky that he's playing against Eagles because I think most games, they'd have won that. I think it was just down to what was it end up being a brilliant defense? I mean, they had one and a half sacks from Brandon Graham. Josh Sweat got a sack. Um, I think Jalen Carter got a sack as well. There a lot of players got involved in that defense. I think ultimately he was just unlucky to be against 
a great team like the Eagles. Yeah, yeah, we can't, you know, we we can't hide behind the curtains the fact that this Eagles defensive line is 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 amazing. Um, you know, we can talk for a little while about San Francisco versus Philadelphia, who has a better defensive line right now after you know all the trade deadline moves. But you know, Dak was sacked five times on Sunday, and you know, that's going to make it really hard for him to produce when he is under under pressure, under duress so much. Now, I don't want to say, you know, this is a Cowboys problem, offensive line problem. Like, the Eagles just have such a great defensive line, you know, and and credit to them for investing in the draft over and over and over again and, you know, just making the right picks and getting the right players. Um, You know, Jalen Carter is probably going to be the steal of last year's draft because I'm sure I'm not sure if anybody remembers, but he he fell out of the top eight because of the whole um you know, car accident issue, him lying about where he was, this or that. And, and the Eagles saw that. And they said, like, listen, we have enough leaders in the locker room. We have enough guys like Jalen Hurts, you know, enough guys like, you know, um, Kelsey, that we can get this kid in. Because remember, he's he's still young. He's still 20, 21 years old. He's, he's a kid, basically. Get him in. We could teach him the right way to go about life, the right way to conduct himself. And, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, be like overreactionary, but he's already on like an Aaron Donald type career path with the way he's performing, uh, especially next year when they give him, you know, more snaps and a bigger role in the defense. So I don't want to sit here and say the Cowboys offensive line did a terrible job because it is a big ass to block a line like the one the Philadelphia Eagles have. Yeah. And I think he just fits in straight away and just, it's almost now become a bit like a Baltimore in terms of defensive DNA is just part of the so it's defensive greatness is just part of that DNA in the Eagles team. I think same as Baltimore. And I think he's just fitted in straight away. And Harry Roseman continues to be the best GM in the NFL. Um, before we do go, uh, we're going to start this new segment because it's getting to that part of the season where you can make these predictions. Uh, first of all, who would you pick for MVP if you were voting? And also then, what would be your Super Bowl matchup if the, if the Super Bowl was tomorrow? Ooh, um, MVP. I'm. I know they hate giving back-to-back awards, but I'm gonna go with Mahomes. I think that the Chiefs are about to turn it on down the stretch. I think he's got a, a lot of young wide receivers that he's like Rashi Rice that he's developing that chemistry with, and I think we're going to see the Kansas City offense take a big step forward. Um, you know, down the stretch. As far as Super Bowl matchup, I'll give you one better. I'll give you the championship games and the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, and AFC championship game is going to be the Chiefs over the Ravens. The NFC championship game is going to be the 49ers over the Eagles. And we're going to get a rematch of the Super Bowl a few years ago. And um, the Chiefs will defeat the 49ers at the end of the year to uh, win another Super Bowl title. Interesting. Well, I might as well give my one while I'm here. MVP, I'm still giving to Christian McCaffrey. Um, I just think that he's been so good for them. And obviously, if he scores this weekend, he sets a record of most consecutive games. All <laughs> uh, he tied for the record, so I think he's had a, a season where he's made that much of an impact. Um, and then Super wise, I'll do my games as well. So I'm going to go for I'm going to go for the Bengals beat the Chiefs. I think it's going to be that kind of rivalry where every year, like but like, like Manning Brady back in there, I think it's going to be every year they'll be playing each other at some point. Um, but I do think I do think the Jets could get as far as the divisional round if Rogers does come back, which we think he might do. Um, and then on the NFC, I think I think the Eagles beat the Niners and go back again. I just think that the injuries are just a bit worrying for me. Actually, you know what? No, I'm going to call the audible. Niners <laughs> beat the Eagles. Um, and then I think 
Sounds crazy. I just said they're going to lose, but I think the Niners are going to beat the Bengals. I think the Bengals will once again suffer the Super Bowl at the hands of the Niners. Uh, but hopefully it'll be um, Dolphins Bears, but I don't think that's going to be possible. <laughs> no, uh, hopefully, the AFC Championship game will be uh, Dolphins Browns, right? Oh, that that would be good. I mean, <laughs> it's in Cleveland, or I could you know, get down there, meet you there. You come down from New York, and we can um, watch the game together. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a good time. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, that is the end of the Across the Pod podcast, our Week 9 review. Uh, now, I'm not sure whether we will um, have a Week 10 stuff, because I'm away traveling next week, and I don't know whether I'll have time to do a podcast, but I may do, I may not, so that's up in the air. But either way, we'll be back for Week 11 stuff regardless. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Dan, for coming on, first of all. Um, so those who haven't yet found your work, what can we look forward to on Dynasty Nerds in the next few weeks? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at DanT underscore NFL. Um, I've actually had to step back my workload from Dynasty Nerds. Unfortunately, I have a, a baby coming in a couple months. So oh, congratulations. It's time, thank you. Thank you. It's time to uh, switch on dad mode. But um, I guarantee you, as we're getting close to the draft, you can watch out for my player analysis, my draft takes, and then our NFL draft live stream once again on draft weekend. Fantastic. So we will put this post out on socials. If you do follow on Twitter, do give them a follow. And you can find all stuff fantasy related and brands related on this channel. But this has been the Across the Pod NFL podcast, our week known review. I've been your host, Andy. This has been Dan, and we will see you guys next time.